have a seat. Welcome to Creekside Church. We are so excited this morning to have uh, so many of you with us. Um, the children have a very special program in store for us, which we look forward to. Just a couple of announcements. Um, I won't read them all, but make sure to take a look at your bulletin this morning. Uh, a couple reminders. The day after Christmas, um, John Bloom will be bringing the bus for Emmanuel Mission. We are going to be trying to help fill the bus. And uh, you can read all the details of the things, the contributions that they are looking for. Um, if you would like to just participate with a financial gift, you can make out a check. And I think that needs to be done this morning. And the check needs to be made out to the uh, Women's Missionary Outreach. So uh, that's really exciting. Then. Uh, just another reminder, uh, next week, Christmas Eve, we will just be having the one uh, service together. So I don't know if my microphone is breaking up here. But uh, the one service together next week with no Sunday school. And uh, so next week on Christmas Eve, 1030. days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them. shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. 
you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. had gone away from them into heaven. The shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then, and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry, and found their way to Mary and Joseph, and the baby as he lay in a manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. Oh! 
Let me just pray, and then I just want to share a few thoughts about what you heard sung this morning and what you heard read. Father, we do thank you for Christmas and for this opportunity to celebrate and to come together. I thank you for each one that's here. I pray that your spirit would speak to each of our hearts by your grace, that we would indeed come to adore him, you, Lord Jesus, our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, the invitation of the Christmas program is, come let us adore him. And I was thinking that the real reason most of you came was to adore them. Honestly, I mean, if we're gut honest, it's like, it's not about worshiping the king sometimes on Christmas, it's more about worshiping the kids. The videos that were taken, the the pictures that you took, I'm wondering, is that going to be about celebrating Jesus or just memories that you store away? And I'm not saying that's bad, okay? I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on you because you took a video or you took a picture. That's fine. What I am going to do is want to challenge you about what does it mean to adore Him? I mean, that's why we have a Christmas program is to adore Him. Come let us adore Him. And some of you came to adore them. Others of you just came to appease somebody, right? You got guilted into coming, or I got to do this, and I'm not really here because I want to be. It's just like if I don't show up, then I'm going to be in hot water, and I won't get any goodies, or I'll be in trouble, okay? I mean, honestly, that's where some of you are at. I understand that. The text that was read in Luke chapter 1, or 2, verses 1 to 20, gives us kind of three little insights into what it really means to adore Him, and I just want to hit those, and they're kind of, the songs were picked out in relationship to this text. And this text kind of dovetails into what was the meaning and what would lead us to adore Him. And so the first is that we're compelled to adore Him, and I I say we're compelled to, we aren't necessarily compelled to, but it's compelling the story of Christmas. You read in in Luke chapter 2, now it came about in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. This census was first taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own city to be taxed, and Joseph took up Mary. And you know, that's it. We think about how, how hallmarkish is the, is the story of Jesus. You know, it would make a good hallmark movie, right? Well, here's this young couple, and they're engaged, and, uh, and she's with child out of wedlock, and they had to go down to this place in this hard trip down to Bethlehem you know and it's difficult then they get there and she's pregnant about ready to have this baby and there's no place for them to stay and they have to stay in a stable then they have the baby oh that's really nostalgic it's really adorable if you will now all the women here are thinking not you know And in the reality of it, not nostalgic or adorable or anything. But for most of us, we want to keep Jesus in the manger. Because baby Jesus in the manger is cute. Baby Jesus in the manger is cuddly. Baby Jesus in the manger is safe and manageable. 
That's what I call a sanitized view of Jesus. It's sterile. It's safe. It's a short-sighted view of adoration. It's compelling, yes, but it is incomplete if we keep Jesus in the manger. I mean, isn't it nicer to keep Jesus in the manger than to have this adult man walking around, this God-man doing miracles? And commanding our adoration, our appreciation, and commanding our obedience. Jesus, as the man, he walked around, and by his very nature, and by his very deeds, and by his very words, he commanded people to be allegiance to him, and allegiance to him, and he was demanding that they be in obedience to him. And then we would rather have him in the in the manger than we would have Jesus and the horrors of being on a cross. I mean, that's kind of nasty. And yet, the first seven verses keep him safe. In his book, The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, C.S. Lewis wrote this uh, story, and in the story, little Susan is talking to Mrs. Beaver about Aslan, who was the Christ figure, and yeah, she asked Mrs. Beaver, is, is he safe? No, he's a lion. And M- Mrs. Beaver said, safe? Question. And then Mr. Beaver interjects, and he goes, who said anything about of safe? Being safe? Of course he's not safe. But he is good. He is the king, after all. He is the king. He's not safe, but he's good. The compulsion of adoration, in my estimation, extends beyond merely an emotional attraction if and only if we understand that there was a divine conception, if we understand that there was a prophetic fulfillment, if we understand that there's a personal application as to why Jesus came as a babe in a manger, which leads to the second point that I want to make. We're given a good cause to adore him. Isn't it interesting that of all the people in the world that the God of the universe chose to reveal the birth of Jesus Christ to the shepherds? Not to the religious leaders, but to the shepherds. And he appeared, and it says in the text of Luke chapter 2, verse verse 8, it says, and in the, the same region there were shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. That would freak you out. If you're out in the night sky, you didn't have your cell phone, and you, I don't know, you ever been in the mountains without any electronic devices? I mean, it is magnificent. And here this angel, an angel of the Lord appeared before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And then the text says, you know, in the old English, and they were sore afraid. You know, they were were terribly frightened. Wise men, those shepherds, to be terribly frightened in the presence of an angel of the Lord and the glory of the Lord. You see, and we read it in the first meeting in Exodus chapter 33, 
Moses should have been frightened of the presence of the Lord. God hid him behind a rock and his presence passed before him. You read in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5, Isaiah says, Woe is me, for I am undone in the presence of the Lord. You go on to the Mount of Transfiguration. Every place, you go on to the book of Revelation chapter 4, and the 24 elders are bowing down before the throne of God. In the presence of God, nobody's going to be walking around giving high fives and saying, Hey, Jesus, man, great to see you, dude. I just kind of get annoyed when people, they talk about, you know, I'm going I'm to ask Jesus all these really neat questions. I got all these deep theological questions. I'm going to ask Jesus. And I'm thinking, no, I don't think so. Now, I may be wrong. And if I'm wrong, you're there, you can correct me. Okay. But I'm thinking we're going to kind of be worshiping the king. Now, I'm not saying we're not going to have interactions and do that kind of stuff. But here they bowed before the throne. I remember the first time that I ever went snorkeling. I'm swimming along underwater, you know, and you can see a lot in this place. And there's this, like this, there's a barracuda about this long. Down along the bottom, and I'm swimming along. And his teeth are all bared. And he's looking right at me. I was scared. But notice in the text, it says that the angel Lord said to them, Do not be afraid. When I went back and talked to the guy that was uh, the guy that taught me how to snorkel, he goes, "Don't have to worry about it unless he's bigger than you." You know, he's not he's not fishing for you unless you're, you're he's bigger than you. But here the deal is: the reason they need not fear produced calm in them, and the reason is given in verses ten and eleven, and produces is it begins and provides a cause for us to worship him, to adore him. Verses ten and eleven. Do not fear. The angel Lord said, do not fear. Behold, I bring you good news of a great joy which shall be for all people. For unto us is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Okay, relax, guys. And for us, it's, it's cause not only for us, but for them to, to adore him. Good news uh, for all folks, including the shepherds. There's a Savior. You see, the shepherds, these guys were really nasty guys. They never were able to go to the worship, worship at, the cere- at the temple. They were ceremonially unclean because they were out of the loop. And they were unsavory guys, you know. They're just, they're just kind of your run-of-the-mill, roughneck crowd. It's good news for you guys, he says. It's good news. They understood that they were the most contemptible and they were the most condemnable people. And there was good news well, what was the good news? A Savior. And I'm thinking, well, how is that good news to these guys? They're thinking, well, a pay raise maybe? A warm blanket? Uh, somebody to liberate us from the Romans? That would be good news. No. Here is the good news. I'm going to read this poem, which summarizes it. Many of you are familiar with it. If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us an engineer. If our greatest need would have been money, God would have sent us an investment broker. If our greatest need would have been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness. And so God sent us a Savior. You see, the the cradle of Bethlehem was cast in the shadow of the cross of Calvary. So that Jesus came to be born. Matthew chapter uh, 1 verse 21 tells us. Why Jesus was born. 
He says, and she will bear you a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. That's what Jesus, the name means, Jehovah saves. John chapter 1, verse 29. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the... Seeing Jesus, he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. See, God sent a baby in a manger to grow up to be this God-man, perfect man, that he would die on the cross because we are messed up. All of us have sinned. Isaiah put it this way. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each one has turned to his own way. Now, most of you probably never raised sheep, but I'm telling you, sheep are stupid. Uh, just take my word for it. So isn't it really neat that God in the Bible refers to us as sheep? They will just walk off and walk off a cliff if somebody else, if another sheep is going in front of them. They'll just follow them. They'll just decide they want to die. They die. They just do that. And he says, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each one has turned to his own way. That's the key. Each one has turned to his own way. All of us live and are born in this world with active rebellion in our heart or passive indifference towards God. We go our own way. And the Bible goes on to say that the consequence of that is sin, is death. The consequence of our sin is death. The wage of sin, the Bible says in Romans 6.23, is death. I remember my grandpa telling me one time, a long time ago, he says, you know, when I first, when I was a, was a young man, I worked for 50 cents a day. That was his wage. I made a lot more when I first started, 50 cents an hour. So he made 50 cents a day. That was his wage. That's the payment you get for the services you render. The payment we receive from our sin, the Bible says, is death, separation from God. And that's where Christmas comes in. God sent his son, but God demonstrates his love towards us in that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us in our place so that he took upon himself what was causing our death so that we might live and we took upon his righteousness, so that we would live. In the death camps in World War II, there was a, a Catholic priest named Maximilian Kolbe. And when he was there, there was a, a man in the camp who had violated one of the cardinal rules. I don't know exactly what it was, but he was sentenced to death, actually. He was to go to the tin box, which was basically a box that they locked him in, never gave him any food or water, and they just died slowly of starvation. Maximilian Colby knew that this man had a family, and he walked right up to the commandant in the middle, broke ranks, walked right up to the commandant. He could have been shot on the spot, and he volunteered to serve that man's sentence for him. The German officer looked at him like, you're crazy. We said, okay, I don't care. And so he went into the box. And there he took upon himself what that man deserved. And he died in his place so that that man would live. That's what Jesus did. When he went to the cross of Calvary, he went in our place. So that each of us who puts our faith or our trust in what he did as the payment we deserve will have life and forgiveness and be pardoned. The point of Christmas is that Christ came to earth. The purpose of Christmas is so that we can go to heaven. I love this quote by William McComb. Chief of sinners though I be, Jesus shed his blood for me. Died that I might live on high, lives 
that I might never die. Come, let us adore him. Why? Because he purchased our pardon on Calvary through shedding of his own blood. In Revelation chapter 5, it says of the lamb that he was slain and that he did purchase for God with his blood. Men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. That's why we have Christmas, is to purchase the pardon of us who are sinners. He purchased it on Calvary, and John says that he delivered us from the penalty and power of sin by means of faith. And many of you know it, John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. That whosoever believes in him, see, it's not just a matter that he did it so that that's warm and nice and he's in the babe in the manger, but he did it and we must respond if we're to receive this gift, this pardon that he purchased. It's not by works. It's not because we were baptized, catechized, confirmed, because we gave money in the offering plate, because we belonged to a certain church, and all those things can be good things. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not as a result of works, so nobody can brag about it. I can't stand there and say, well, I was a better person than anybody else here. No. Chief of sinners was I, but Jesus shed his blood for me. Same for you and same for me. And this faith is active faith. It's me putting my trust in what Jesus did as the payment for my sin. You ever seen those people that do that parasailing thing where the, the boat pulls them up in this parachute and they're flying out over the ocean at about two, 300 feet in the air? Now, that sounds pretty crazy. It takes faith. You can know, oh yeah, that's a parachute. You know, people go up in it. It keeps them up in the air and all that. But if you really believe it does, then you're going to strap on that harness and get and they pull that boat out and you're flying up there 200, 300 feet above the ocean and looking at the straps that are kind of fraying and pulling apart. That's to put our trust or faith in Jesus is to acknowledge that, Lord, I'm a sinner. Now, that's the big part because most of us don't think we're sinners. But if you don't think that you are a person who's living in rebellion against God or active or rebellion or passive indifference, just ask one of the people who knows you the best. And they will testify. Yeah, you're not a perfect person. My dad has a friend. The guy's passed away now, but he uh, did skeet shooting. I don't know if you know what skeet shooting is. They take these little clay pigeons and they throw them in the air and they shoot them in the air, uh, with the, catapult them all around, and he uses a shotgun to shoot. 98 out of 100. Whew, that's amazing. Still short of God's standard. All of us come up short. And God gave us his son. So we just say this, our stepping on faith is just praying, saying, Lord, I messed up. I know I deserve a penalty of death, but I thank you so much that you came as a babe and you died as a man, perfect as you were, the God-man, to pay the penalty for my sins. And I just trust you as my Lord and Savior and surrender my life to you. That's a big, that's a big thing. But that's why Jesus came. A pardon... When we receive it, it results in peace. It results in the pardon of forgiveness. It results in purpose in life, the promise of eternal life. That's all wrapped up in what Jesus came to do. But a pardon is only a piece of paper. Listen to what happened. In 1830, George Wilson, was, he robbed the U.S. mail, and he was sentenced to be hanged. President Andrew Jackson issued him a pardon, a presidential pardon, and he refused the pardon. This went to the Supreme Court, and Justice Marshall, here's what he ruled. He says, 
A pardon is a piece of paper, the value of which is determined by the person pardoned. Jesus Christ purchased your pardon on Calvary. But the value of that pardon lies in your response. If you reject it, it means nothing to you personally. If you accept it, it means forgiveness. Pardon, it means peace. It means purpose in this life. It means a promise of eternal life. And it means you praise Him. The last point that comes in the end of the text is that we're committed to endure, adore Him. The heavenly chorus confirmed that this wasn't just a bad dream, and so they didn't eat some bad food or they weren't drinking too much. They had a real live experience, so they went down to see it. They were curious. They were curious. Now, some of you here are contentious. You just I don't really give a rip about this Jesus stuff. I'm just here to see my, you know, I'm just here to adore them. Some of you are a little bit confused. I don't know. I've heard about Jesus. I saw the commercial. It's about Jesus being born in a manger. Fine, but I never made the connection that he died on the cross to pay the price for my sins. That's why he was born. Some of you are just curious. I don't know about this Jesus stuff. Well, the shepherds were curious. And when they got to the manger, then they began to worship. They made, then they made known the statement, it says, the statement in verse 11, that this was the Savior, they made known. Why? After they had seen Jesus in the manger, they responded, they proclaimed Him, and they praised Him. Their encounter with Jesus, Christ the Lord. Notice the text says He was a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He saved you, He is the Messiah, and He is the King. And they saw it, and they worshipped, and they weren't merely curious. Only as we embrace Jesus as the Savior, as the Messiah, as the King. Only then will we really adore Him. Only then will we have pardon and peace and power over sin and the promise of eternal life. So, He shed His blood. That's what He did. You just have to decide whether you want to accept it or not and come and worship Him. Then you will, like the kids are singing. Then it won't be just a, a matter of, oh, we sing the warm fuzzies, but we actually go out and serve Him. That's the way we worship Him. I have a friend of mine who says, expensive worship is actually when we serve Christ in His name, and it costs us something. That's what expensive worship is. And so my invitation is, come, let us adore Him. And the best way you can do that, if you're confused, contentious, or curious is to receive, repent of your sins and receive Christ. And if you're here and you know Christ, is to focus on what he's done for us. And that's what we're about to do as we uh, take the elements of communion. We'll break the bread and share the cup. And I invite you, as we take these symbols, to think about what they represent. His body broken and his blood shed. So that we might have life and might have it ador- uh, abundantly. In order to sacrifice, he gave his life so that if we believe, we would receive this gift. It's open to all believers. If you're not a member of this church, that's not a problem. We invite you to take it. Uh, Before it's distributed, I ask that you would search your hearts and examine your hearts. Nobody's required to do it. Our practice is that uh, during the singing of the next song, that those who are led would get up and make their way up to the table. There's a table in the back. The bread will be broken, and you just take the elements there. And if you're curious, contentious, or just confused, 
I invite you today to settle it with Jesus. And those of us who know him, I pray that we would celebrate and adore him for what he's done for us. Let me pray and then we'll have our time of the table. Father, take these elements and may they represent uh, to us and for us what you've done so miraculously in coming to this earth as a babe in a manger to die on a cross. I pray that you would be honored and glorified and magnified through what's done here today. We pray in Jesus' name.